Hi, my name is Carlos, and thank you for tuning in uh, today to The Brook. Um, I am the pastor of Reality Church Miami, which is a church plant that's going to be planted out of The Brook in 2021. And today, I want to tell you um, how I got here. My story, essentially, from the uh, beginning. I'm here preaching to you in English because there were two women, Esther Carson and Marjorie Johnson, who listened to the voice of God while they were on the Midwest. And they felt a call to go to the plains of Venezuela, to a little town called El Socorro. This is like the Iowa of Venezuela. And they went there and they started a school. And they began to organize these different festivals where they would bring in different preachers. And it was at, at one of those festivals where my grandmother and great-grandmother heard the gospel for the very first time. Now, I can't imagine what some of their families uh, told them, what some of their friends said to them when they made the decision to move to the plains of Venezuela. What, why would you go there? Why would you go to this country that we don't know a lot about and leave your security, your safety here in the United States? What kind of a, what kind of a person um, does that? You know, why would you give up your future here in the most prosperous country in the world? And still they went. They went because they felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. Maybe it's because they really believed the words of Jesus, that they were to go and make disciples of all nations. And because of them, because of their faithfulness, listen, God used them so that the gospel would also come to me through my grandmother and my mom. And that's why I stand before you um, today. What kind of a person does that? You know, what, what kind of a person is bold enough or foolish enough to believe that God is calling us to preach the gospel and we actually go to the ends of the earth? And to quote a pastor by the name of Robbie Galati, I believe that uh, it's, this is the kind of person that is committed to making Jesus' last words their first work. You know what Jesus' last words were? Uh, they're called the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Listen to um, what Matthew writes about Jesus. This is what he says. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Listen, I believe that wherever you are today, whether you're a part of the brook or you're watching from somewhere else, God wants us to make His last words our first work. And one of the ways we do that is by starting churches. I'm here because I want to continue to press on in advancing the kingdom of God in Miami by planting a church in the Coconut Grove South Miami area. And this is what I want to do today. I want to answer the question, well, why should we plant another church, right? Why uh, church planting? Haven't you ever asked yourself the question, well, why do new churches need to be planted? Aren't there enough spaces in other churches 
Shouldn't we uh, just invest in the churches that are already here um, in Miami? Well, whether or not you'll be a part of reality, I want you to leave today knowing biblically and practically why church planting matters to God. Because listen, I believe and I hope, I pray that there are some of you who are watching today that God would not only call you to be a part of a church plant, but maybe perhaps you're watching that God may even call you to be a church planter here in Miami because we don't need just one more church. We need like a hundred more. So why does church planting matter? Well, before I answer that question, we have to know that church planting starts with God. Church planting starts with God. You know, when you come to... Um, when you come to a relationship with Jesus that changes your life, several things happen. You're forgiven of your sin. Uh, you're adopted into a new family. You become heirs um, with Christ. You're given a new identity. And one of those identities is the identity of being a sent one, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And that started with Jesus. Look at what Luke says in chapter 4, verse 18. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus talking. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I don't want you to miss this. Listen. Jesus says that the Spirit is on him and anointing him. Right? That means he's an empowering him to do the work that he's called him to do, to carry out his mission. In other words, Jesus' mission comes out of the empowering and the sending of the Spirit. Not Listen, for us, it, it, that means this. Our mission it's not coming out of just our own initiative. Mission begins with God. Even that term that Christians, you know, if you're in Christian circles, you'll hear, man, listen, I'm going on a mission trip or I want to live my life on mission. Mission is a term that comes from the Latin missio, which means to be sent, to be sent. What does that mean for us and for Jesus Christ? Like we see here in Luke chapter four, that listen, Mission begins with God. Church planting begins with God. So why start a church? Well, number one, because it's part of the Great Commission. And I want to prove it to you, okay? And the Great Commission, like I said earlier, is a term that Christians use to describe Jesus' last words in Matthew 28. It's a commission because we get to be sent out as Jesus was also sent out to make disciples. So what does that have to do with church planting? Listen to what Tim Keller writes. He says this. Virtually, all the great evangelistic challenges of the New Testament are basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith. Why? Because in Matthew 28, the call is not only to make disciples, but it's also to baptize them. Now, if you study a little bit of the New Testament, you'll see that in the book of Acts and in other places, it's clear that baptism means that you become a part of a local community of faith. Like you can come to know a Jesus by yourself, but the Christian vision that we see in the New Testament, 
of doing life with Jesus. It's not meant to be lived by yourself. So number one, it's because church planning is part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Number two, because it was the primary strategy of evangelism in the New Testament. Paul, who was probably the greatest missionary in the New Testament, he had a simple strategy. You know what he would do? He would go to the largest city. He would make disciples, share the faith, have, you know, essentially do evangelism, and then, some, and then also plant churches. You could see it in Acts 14. You could see it in Acts 16. You can see that church planting is not something like unnatural or traumatic that happens in the life of the church. This is something that is normal. And Paul never evangelizes people without also discipling them and planting churches. This is why he tells Titus, right, to install elders in the city. And this is why a missiologist, that's a person who studies uh, mission, um, like Peter Wagner, he can say this. He says that planting new churches is the most evangelistic methodology known under heaven. So we plant churches, number one, listen, because it is part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Two, we plant churches because we know that it's the primary methodology in the New Testament to essentially share the faith. Number three, because new churches are better at reaching people that don't know Jesus. If you look at the studies uh, of missiologists and other people, you'll see from denominations and uh, even the uh, you know, sociologists of religion, you'll see that new churches are much better at reaching new people for Jesus than established churches. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because as a congregation gets older, sometimes the needs of the church shift. Well, a new church, its primary job is just to go out and make disciples from people who are far away from God and they don't know the gospel to then helping them grow and continue to grow um, in Jesus Christ. Now listen, that doesn't mean that older congregations don't see new people come to Jesus because listen, they have a stability and certain things that they offer that obviously a church plant like Reality Church won't be able to offer right at the beginning. But it just means that their focus sometimes has to include other things that help them to take care of the life of people within the church. So, um, I want to make this clear, by the way. Um, we're, not, like, we're not starting reality as a reaction uh, to other churches in the city. We want to plant a church out of love. The love that we have for Jesus and the love that we have for people who are far away from him. And we believe that we're not like coming down to Miami to save this place. We're just one, we're just one expression of the kingdom of God here. Um, in, 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 and we want to see Jesus Christ move in a very, very, very powerful way, joining alongside some of the other churches that are already doing work um, in the city. And Miami, listen, Miami is an incredible place to do that. And it took me some time being away from Miami for four years, being up in Chicago, to come back to Miami and to see the incredible opportunity that we have. Because, listen, for example, if, if you grew up here or if you've lived here for a long time, maybe you've also forgotten or you get used to um, the need 
for church planting and for making disciples here. But did you know, for instance, that in a three to five mile radius of the area that we want to plant in like Coconut Grove in South Miami, in the past five years, 80, at least 85,000 new people have moved in. 85,000 new people. That's like a whole town and a ton of places in America. Where do you think those people are? Where are they in their relationship with God? Do you think all of the churches that have been established can reach that amount of people in just that small of a radius? There is a great opportunity to be able to plant a church. So we plant churches for those three reasons. And number four, listen, we plant churches because we've seen God. When, um, when we encounter God and when we see His holiness, His greatness, His power, we can't help but to be sent. There's a connection between seeing God and being sent. In the book of Isaiah, uh, in chapter 6, when that prophet sees God's glory, when he sees his own brokenness, and when he sees God's holiness and his mercy, do you know how he responds? It says this in Isaiah 6, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says this, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah beholds God, and then he's compelled to go. When God calls Abraham, and he makes him a promise that he's going to be the father of many nations, you know what he does? He goes out. See, when we see God, there's something that happens inside of our hearts. It crushes like our sense of consumerism. It crushes our sense of just wanting to be comfortable and it drives us to mission because we want other people to see him. So there's a connection between seeing God and being sent out. When we see him, listen, he calls us to make great moves, to take risks, to take territory for the kingdom of God. Think about it. Even Moses, when he meets them face to face in Exodus chapter 3, you know what happens when he grasps the holiness of God. You know what God says to him? Now go. I want you to go see Pharaoh. Can you see that? There's a connection between seeing God and being sent. Peter in Luke chapter 5. You know there's this great story where Jesus comes up to him on a boat. And they were fishermen. And, and Peter says to him, you know, man, we, we, haven't, we haven't been able to catch anything all night, you know. And... And then Jesus tells him, you know what? I want you to go out a little further. And I want you to throw your nets to the other side um, of the boat. And, and they're like, but why would we do that? We've just been spending this whole night fishing. And, and Jesus says, I want, I want you to do it for me. You go a little further. You throw your nets to the other side. And you know what happens? They get this massive catch that almost sinks the entire boat. And in that moment, Peter, it, it get, he gets a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. He gets to see who God is. And you know what he says? He, he bows before the feet of Jesus and he says, you know what? Depart from me. I, I'm, a, I'm a sinful man. You know what Jesus says to him in response? He says, I'm going to make you 
fishers of men. Every time someone sees God for who He really is, they lose their consumer mentality. And listen, they begin to take risks. They begin to go. They begin to make great moves because mission, listen, it begins with God. And for us, it begins with seeing Him. That's what happens to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul, the greatest missionary in the New Testament, he's blinded by God so that he can see. And after he sees Him, what does he do? He becomes the greatest missionary in the New Testament. He goes out. He is sent. One of the most uh, famous preachers in uh, the European world and probably in the history of Christianity, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who was responsible for planting over 200 churches in Great Britain, he wrote this. Show me a Christian soaked in the blood of Jesus with the stench of hell in his nostrils. And I'll show you a Christian who doesn't need to be compelled to do evangelism. Listen, church planting begins with a vision of Jesus. It begins with a vision of God. So, what kind of a church um, is reality going to be? What kind of a church are we planting? Well, number one, of course, we want to plant a church that is gospel-centered. Because we believe that the gospel, the message of Jesus, is the greatest message for those who are not only far away from Him, but even for His children who are desperate for His grace, even on their best day. We want it to be a church that is a family from all, for all. See, the primary metaphor of the church in the New Testament is the metaphor of a family. We want to be a family from all, for all, because we believe that a healthy church should be a community where you should know others and be known yourself with. You are loved and challenged to grow. And also because in this diverse city, we believe that the gospel has the power to bridge social, economic, and racial boundaries that make us family. Especially in this time of division, the church has a responsibility not to step back in fear, but to be able to step forward in faith and lead these conversations. We want to be able to Plant a church that cares about whole life discipleship. This is a church that's going to care about beneath the surface discipleship. That takes the time to think about how the gospel affects every area of our life. In fact, I want to say this. If we want to do anything well at reality is, man, we, we want to be able to equip people to make disciples anywhere in the world. That if you can come and be a part of making disciples, then in the future, you can continue to be a part of His mission wherever the Lord may call you. We want to see not only a family from all, a gospel-centered church. We want to see a church that cares about whole life discipleship. Of course, we want to see a dependent church, a church that pursues intimacy with God and relies on the power of the Spirit. We want to see a church that is missional because we want to plant churches and because we want to display the gospel in works of mercy justice and love and of course we want to see a church for monday because we know that the gospel isn't just for an hour on sunday morning but that it affects every area of our life even the way that we work the way that we lead our relationships at the end of the day listen we just want the church to be the church 
So, what does that mean for you? I want to leave you with this. Um, I heard a preacher one time talk about a story of the pharaohs of Alexandria. The pharaohs of Alexandria was a lighthouse. Uh, un farito, like we would say sometimes in Spanish. And it was one of the ancient wonders of the world. Now, at the time of its construction, um, it was the tallest building in the land. And lighthouses centuries after it would model this architectural design. The project was commissioned by the Egyptian pharaoh Ptolemy, and it was given to the greatest architect of its time, a man by the name of Sostratus. Now, as he, desi as he designed and he built this magnificent edifice, Ptolemy, that pharaoh, died, and then Ptolemy II uh, took his place. Now, Sostratus, like a lot of artists, he wanted to leave his mark upon that building. And so he wanted to etch his name onto the lighthouse. And so he came before Pharaoh Ptolemy II. And he asked them, can I draw my name into the lighthouse? And the Pharaoh, of course, being a good, prideful <laughs> Pharaoh, denied it. He denied the request. In fact, he demanded that now Ptolemy II's name be etched onto the pharaohs. But Sostratus, he was a very clever builder. And under the cover of night, here's what he did. He chiseled his name on the foundation of the pharaohs, and then he covered it with plaster. And on the plaster, he wrote Ptolemy II's name. And as both men passed away, the plaster began to come off the structure, revealing the name of the true architect. Now listen, you and me, we have the privilege of being members of his church. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are a part of his church and for a momentary time while we are here on earth, we get to be a part of building up his kingdom. He allows us to put our names, if you will, on this magnificent edifice. And so we can write Carlos Lolet, Pastor Mucci, whatever your name is, you can write it down on his household. But listen, at the end of the day, those names fade away, revealing the name that is above every name that stands at the cornerstone of the church, Jesus Christ, who came, listen, who came and was sent in order to seek and save those who were lost, who rose again on the third day, who because of him we can experience resurrection life and a power, and being part of a family, and having a purpose that we have never thought possible before. And he was the one that promised that he would build his church, and that nothing would stand on its way. So I want to invite you today to continue being a part of his movement here in Miami, in a new area of the city. I want to challenge you, wherever you may be, today to put your yes on the table and to let God put that yes on the map.
put your yes on the table. Would you be bold enough to ask God if he wants you to be a part of Reality Church? Would you be bold enough to ask him to send you wherever he may go? Would you believe that maybe God can use you to be a part of building a new family and to reaching people who are far away from him, to see them come to new life in Christ? Well, I want to pray um, for us this morning. And for those of you who want to take a next step, listen, I want to encourage you to do this. You're like, man, I, I don't know. I, um, I, I've never been part of a church plant, or maybe you have. And maybe the Lord has put that into your heart and soul. And if that's you, I want to invite you to be a part of reality, to pray, to ask the Lord to consider being a part of this new mission. So here's what I want to invite us to do. I'm going to pray in just a moment. If you say, Carlos, you know what? I, I want to know more details. I want to know what that entails. So there's going to be a link uh, that's going to be dropped in just a moment. You could just click on that link and we can chat. Let's connect. Let's talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Let's pray. Lord, I um, thank you because you came for us. You took the initiative and you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. Thank you that you've called us to live on mission, Lord. That we have a purpose, that we get to be your ambassadors, Lord. We pray for Miami, Lord. We pray for this beautiful city that also has many areas of brokenness, Lord Father. I pray, God, that you would begin to draw people to yourself, Lord. God, we pray for the flourishing of this city in every area, Lord. We pray, God, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to pray for those who may be watching, Lord. God, I pray that they would see you and that any fears, Lord, anything that may be hindering from maybe taking a next step, wherever you would have them, Lord, I pray that those fears would be erased by your love. God, I pray that you would lead all of us, Lord, to do your will and to be a part of whichever congregation you want us to be a part of. I thank you for the brook, Lord. I thank you for Pastor Mucci. I thank you for the call that you gave him several years ago to start a new movement here in Miami. Lord, we pray that you would continue to do a great work, not only through the brook, Lord, but also through this mission that you are sending out from this church, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.